Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. Sheila Zelinsky. The Sheila Zelinsky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners around the globe, and welcome. I am your host, Sheila Zelinsky. And you are listening to the very first edition of my new show in 2015, the premier flagship episode. I'm very glad you are tuned in. Today is Monday, January 12th. My guests really need no introduction. Tom Horn and Steve Quayle, welcome to the program today, gentlemen. It's great to have you back on together. Great to be on with you, um, Sheila, and great to be back with my buddy Steve again. Thank you, Sheila. And uh, again, tonight I think is an important time because... The events that Tom Horn and Chris Putnam spoke about, wrote about, got the world's attention about are now in play. I think it's interesting that the Green Revolution is now basically manifesting itself as the pale horse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I don't believe people can even begin to grasp what is taking place before them with the Agenda 21, with all of Tom and Chris Putnam's research on the Vatican, on obviously the Lucifer Telescope at Mount Graham, Binocular Telescope, all the instrumentation. We're being prepared for the announcement, and we've often thought of disclosures coming from the scientific community or even the military, you know, some kind of war in space filtering through and they have to tell us. But a more insidious thing, I believe, is going to take place and excuse me, I asked Tom if he would address that right out of the shoot with you on your show today, Sheila, and that's what happens if it is the key lead religious figure in the world who the whole world goes after announcing that we're not alone, that our space brothers are here, and he produces an alien emissary. Can you imagine what that would look like to the Bible-believing Christian? So, Tom, let's address that. Yeah, it's very interesting. While the world right now is mostly fixated on the fact that the Pope has announced that he's going to visit the United States, he's going to call together the world's religions to get them to agree to a, a green agenda, preparing a rare encyclical. And it's that encyclical or one that is to follow it that may have something to do with what you are talking about. Because I have Catholic friends, as you know, we were even able to get the Pope's astronomer 
to sit down and talk with us five different interviews and the work that we did on Exovaticana. We got permissions to go up to the top of Mount Graham where we met with the Jesuits up there. So thankfully, we've been blessed with some of the right people who can put us in touch with some of the right other people, right, and information. And what we're hearing, though, is that there is this encyclical, but something else that Pope Francis is working on that's very intriguing and what we believe is it's going to accommodate this kind of newly celebrated astrotheology of Rome's top astronomers, their theologians, uh, a lot of the stuff that's in Exo Vaticana, right? Whether this is somehow going to fulfill the Catholic prophecies of the coming man of sin, the seed of Satan, um, either as an alien serpent savior or as some kind of a deceiver that points mankind to a god of another world. And I would want people that are listening to this program, since Sheila says that it also focuses on prophecy, to understand that the Bible describes both the false prophet, is that Petrus Romanus, is that the final pope, and the Antichrist as having allegiances and endowments that are not from this earth. When they arrive, it describes them as having the ability to call fire down from heaven, for instance, suspected to be the host location of aliens. But the prophet Daniel kind of even gets closer to the grit on this, and that he says their belief system is actually going to honor a strange alien god. So if you read Daniel, the 11th chapter, especially the 38th and 39th verses, he says that the Antichrist, he says in his estate, he's going to honor, honor the god of forces and a god whom his fathers knew not, shall he honor. And it, then it says, with pleasant things, he will do in the most strongholds with a strange god whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. Well, when you dissect that verse in the Hebrew, and this is good exegesis. I mean, this can be fact-checked with any of the greatest scholars. When you look at that verse in the Hebrew, God of fortresses, that's Baal Shemam, literally the Lord of the atmosphere, of the heavens, of the outer sphere. And then the phrase, a strange God in the Hebrew, can literally be rendered an alien God. So our trip up there to Mount Graham, we ask a lot of questions around that, and it was interesting how we were pointed back to another Jesuit. Many people may understand that Pope Francis is the first Jesuit pope in history, but another famous Jesuit by the name of Malachi Martin. He was an insider of insiders, and he had a lot to say about what was happening on top of Mount Graham and what was happening in the Vatican, and his warnings, by the way, about what might happen if a Jesuit ever seized control of the Vatican. He wrote a book called The Jesuits, The Society of Jesus and the Betrayal of the Roman Catholic Church, and even though as a Jesuit, he had hoped that the things in that book wouldn't happen exactly what he has predicted has happened and actually is happening with these recent announcements from the Vatican, in that he said that there was a secret war between the Jesuits and the other priests to take control of the Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican in particular. Uh, just recently, the New York Times published an article in which they said that heads were set to roll in Rome Priests there are quietly speaking of seven secret Jesuits who are working as spies for Petrus Romanus, and they want to use the power of Rome and the Vatican for reasons that are not yet clear to them. So is this setting up towards what you're implying, Steve, or is this encyclical? Are the people, the powers that be, being placed into the right positions there? 
in the Vatican to support some kind of extraterrestrial theology? Well, Malachi said that the Jesuits would use the Vatican because it's not like any other Christian denomination. It's got 90 ambassadors parked there on any day at the Vatican City. It's got political relationships with most of the nations of the world. And Malachi said that's why the Jesuits wanted to seize control of the Vatican, so that they could use it as a machine, he said, that would give assistance to the rise of the new world order. And he very specifically said they would use it to do the things that Pope Francis is doing now, a new world order based on socialism, Marxism, and that they would work in tandem ultimately with the rise of the Antichrist for the implementation of the objectives of the Antichrist. But the second thing that he talked about is more to your point. So if Malachi was absolutely correct in his predictions in his book, The Society of Jesus and the Betrayal of the Roman Catholic Church, you have to ask if he was also correct when he talked specifically about what was going on on the top of that mountain, Mount Graham, in Arizona, about an hour away from Tucson, where the Vatican has an advanced telescope, and there's an observatory group that literally forced their way onto the top of that mountain. We tell the whole story about that in the book uh, in Exo-Vaticana, how the Apache Indians, the other Indian tribes, sued them in federal court, tried to stop them. It actually took an act of Congress to overturn what both the environmentalists and the Indians there were trying to do so that they could get up on that mountain. But when Art Bell, some years ago, on Coast to Coast AM, was interviewing Malachi Martin, and he asked him very specifically, he said, Father, why did the Vatican force themselves on the top of that mountain in Arizona, and why are they so heavily invested in the study of deep space? And you will recall his answer at the time ignited a firestorm because he said they are on the top of that mountain because at the highest levels, of Vatican governance and geopolitics, they know what is approaching the earth and that it will be of the utmost importance in coming years. And he even put a decade timeline on his prediction. And what's astonishing then is if you look a decade later, actually almost to the date a decade later, in 2009, what happens? All of a sudden, the Vatican starts doing something the Vatican's never done before. They call for an astrobiology study week. They have the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, which, by the way, Francis just met with in secret this week. Is that a prelude to something that's coming up in either this or the next encyclical? Well, he's meeting with them. But those scientists for the Vatican, they came together. They brought together the most powerful astronomers in the world, geologists, theoretical physicists like work at CERN. But they also brought in theologians. And that whole week, they started discussing what they've never stopped discussing since, and that is what would the impact on faith be, on religion be, given the disclosure or the discovery of advanced extraterrestrial intelligence in the universe. If we suddenly do what Steve Quayle has just asked, and tomorrow morning we wake up and all of a sudden it's, all, it's on every major news station, here's the president of the United States of America, here's the president's of Europe and China, Gog Magog, and they're standing there, and right in front of them is Petrus Romanus, the final pope on the 800-year-old prophecy of the Catholics, and he is saying, we have an announcement to make. We are in contact with extraterrestrial intelligence, or we have an announcement to make, they're here. That first event literally set in motion a whole series of other things, not just religion. 
the Royal Society, almost immediately after the Vatican started this whole question about what will the impact on faith and religion be given the official disclosure of extraterrestrial intelligence, the Royal Society, which is the oldest scientific body in the world, they come together. They convene a meeting, this 350-year-old society, and they invite the Vatican's representation to also join with all these scientists that now that are coming from around the world. And they're asking the same question. What will the impact on faith be, on Christians in particular be, given the detection of extraterrestrial uh, life? Well, media was in a frenzy. Steve, you and I did shows at that time because the Vatican had sent out uh, Jose Gabriel Funes. He's the leader of the VORG, the Vatican Observatory Research Group, and he has a historical connection, by the way, with Pope Francis. But he's the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group. They sent him out. He starts lobbing these little softballs out there to the media, saying, well, you know, we're just talking about this just in case. You know, the Vatican, we've made some mistakes in the past. We don't want to repeat any of those issues by trampling on scientific thought, uh, etc. But then he starts saying something different. He starts saying, the extraterrestrial is our brother. Now, how he knows that is still a question mark. Furthermore, he says, it's not only incompatible with Christianity to believe in extraterrestrial intelligence, but if you do not believe in extraterrestrial intelligence, you are a heretic, because that puts limits on God's creative ability. So the whole tone, then, of Opus Dei level, pontifical university level theology, started changing. And now we've had this whole process that we thoroughly document in Exo-Vaticana with many of their teachers and the people that are writing theology for the Vatican. And when you see some of the stuff they're writing now, chills go down your spine. But there's some very kind of key statements that have been made. For instance, a person could Google this, where Funes then comes out and he starts saying things that I don't know how it would be possible for them to know. For instance, he says extraterrestrial intelligence disclosure will not challenge the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Now think about that. You can Google that and read that for yourself, but when you think about what he says, how in the world could you know that? How could you possibly know that the advent of extraterrestrial intelligence visiting the earth would not challenge the Roman Catholic Church unless you've made some kind of Mephistophelian bargain, some Faustian deal with some power that you happen to think is of an extraterrestrial origin? How could you already know that it's not going to challenge the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, right? It's a very mysterious statement. But then maybe he knew something more than he was admitting. Recall that Monsignor Corraldo Balducci, who died under very mysterious circumstances, he was the official spokesperson for the Vatican on the subject of UFOs and aliens. He was an exorcist. He was no Johnny-come-lately. He was a theologian. He was a personal friend of the Pope. But just before he died, he, was, he went out there on Italian television. He also partook in a documentary that was being made here in the U United States. And guess what he was saying? He was saying... Not only do aliens exist, they're here now, and the Vatican is aware of it. So here you have an exorcist for the church, an advanced, degreed individual, and he starts saying these strange things. He says they're not angels, they're not demons, they're extraterrestrial people. And he says they're morally superior. 
morally superior. That's why someplace in deep space, you know, there's a sign. I've, I've joked about it. Earth women are easy. All of the sexual, and I'm saying that in in a total contempt for that statement, they're morally superior. How long have you, Tom Horn, and I, and so many others been documenting alien abductions, dealing with traumatized people? I think that it's an astonishing admonition. Now, I believe that Balducci was assassinated. I believe, based on great information, that obviously Father Malachi Martin was. But Balducci was basically, as an exorcist, I believe, you know, when, when people look into him, his ability to discern the devil, to deal with the devil, and whether you like him or not, somebody thought he knew something that the world couldn't know at that point, so they offed him. They murdered him. They assassinated him. But again, the idea that they're morally superior, let me tell you, the aviary, Sheila, yeah. do you know what the aviary is? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yep. They claim to have... Disc, similar to what used to be the old laser disc. Some people say it's it's similar to the Dropa, D-R-O-P-A stones. Again, people can do an internet search on that. But they claim that they have proof that the aliens created Jesus, and it's all basically videotaped on the aliens' record-keeping medium, and that they intend to play that at the appropriate time. We did a talk radio program years ago on that, did we not? I think we did, but it's been like a decade ago. Well, the point being is this is a group of very elite individuals that have already come into contact with these beings. And so it's going to be interesting, Sheila, the fact that the deception is going to be so great, so great. And, And we think we've seen great deception. We've only seen the beginning of it, but what's playing out now it's not the staircase to heaven, it's the spiral staircase to hell. And I think that what Malachi Martin was talking about, and obviously the windswept house, the keys to his blood, all the different books that he wrote, it's fascinating that he made the statement that Satan is enthroned in the Vatican. <laughs> Absolutely right, and you said something about a staircase to heaven or a staircase to hell. I think that was something else that he understood about Mount Graham and never got a chance to write about. Uh, Malachi was working on what he said was going to be his most explosive book when all of a sudden somebody pulled his feet out from under him in his own house and he fell down a stairway, went into a coma, and later died. That's something when he came out of that coma momentarily, he told one of his priest friends that something or somebody had pulled his feet out from under him and he fell down the stairway and went into a coma. And and then what happened? He wakes up out of the coma, but who are his visitors? Is he being protected by police protection? I don't know what's happening. All of a sudden, he dies. His buddy just before that, Coons, you remember, he was also a conservative Catholic. He was warning about the danger of the Jesuits invading the Vatican. What happens to him? He's, he doesn't fall down those staircase. He's found with his throat slit from ear to ear and satanic sacrifices were found not too far from the church that he pastored that were eerily similar to the ones described by Malachi Martin and those satanic rituals in his book. So there was definitely something that was going on there, and the purpose of it was to close the mouth of those men that were warning about who it was that wanted to take over the Vatican and what they intended to do and how they intended to use the Vatican as a vehicle for the emergence of the new world order. But back to that question about the staircase to heaven or hell, that was one of the things that Chris Putnam and I were amazed to discover when we come down off of Mount Graham. So we go up to Mount Graham, in the back of our mind is Malachi Martin, 
Malachi Martin says that they're using the Vatican's advanced technology telescope on the top of that mountain to watch something, to monitor something, he said, that is approaching the Earth and that it would be of the utmost importance in the coming years. So we go up there. We ask the, the different Jesuits that are on the top of that mountain, and we record some of the stuff that they told us inside of our book. We go from there up to the large binocular telescope that's also part of that observatory group on the top of that mountain where the Lucifer device is. And we get unprecedented access. The technician was the top technician for the large binocular telescope, the LBT, uh, and he spent the day with us, hours. And we have video film of us going up and down all seven floors of that amazing device, in fact, there were some French astronomers who were there at the time, and they were making some adjustments on the large binocular telescope. It's the largest telescope of its kind in the world. But again, when we went on the top of that mountain, we had thought that the Native American Indians at the bottom of the mountain, that they had fought the Vatican and NASA and the Arizona State University to keep them from going on the top of that mountain. We thought that was true because they considered it holy ground. Um, and then what we found out was that was not the case, that the indigenous people, the Apaches especially, they opposed the Vatican going on to the top of that mountain because they believe that mountain is a stargate. It's that stairway you're talking about to heaven or hell. And based on that, by the way, Chris Putnam and I are going back, if you can, uh, and this is something that you and I will also do some work together on. We have a, a, upcoming programs on both your television program that's going to be launched, also the Skywatch television. And by the way, Tom, Sheila has seen the same uh, interview that you saw. I wanted her to have it. And then just to bring everybody up to speed, Timothy Alberino uh, is looking at uh, joining Chris Putnam. And Tom, unknown to either one of us, is how the Lord was directing us. And I want to share something, Sheila. This will blow your mind. Do you remember what I said? I said, it's really weird, Tom, when we go on radio shows together, it's like a time lock, and instantly it seems like information starts to pour forth from that time on. Well, listen to this, Sheila. I get a call from a military former special operations guy, and he said, Steve, I just got a call from a friend of mine who's in the world of black ops. He's on his way up into the high, high Canadian frontier, if you will, and he said that a Stargate portal had opened up the guy had photographs obviously i don't get access to him if i do everybody gets access to him but i don't have access to him he said this guy was so frightened he said to my friend he said i've seen battle i've seen the worst of things and i've seen horrors beyond description but he said but what i saw opening up and he said i can only describe it as a non-religious man a literal gateway to hell and he said 12-foot winged creatures sheila and guess what? That happened yesterday. So how's this? A day later, I get a call, and the very subject matter that we're talking about, portals, stargates, Jacob's Ladder, if you will, the events are literally, pun intended, opening up and opening upon us. So saying all that, it is a given fact of all the people that I've interviewed over the years that I guess you say I've had a Joseph's ministry slash Watchman's ministry, I have never been able to refute from one independent source to another the fact that the aliens are already here. They already have their ambassadors. And everybody used to think that was the stuff of, you know, the National Enquirer, the crazy stuff. But I would, I would share with people, when you get three, four, five highly placed sources, whether they're finance, intelligence, the military, 
saying the same thing. You've got to believe that. And Sheila, I don't know if you've seen it, but I sent it to Tom. And yesterday I posted two Google patents. When Tom and I used to talk about transhumanism and singularity, the Borg, the combination, the end of mankind and the insertion of a hybrid race in our place, I guess you'd say I turned the switch of how far advanced they are. Google has a patent for downloading your entire being into an entire new body, and it's called the Eternal Life Patent. Then the other one is is implanting the ability for people to communicate telepathically. So what I'm saying to people now is this. This is the year, 2015, is the year naivety and denial die, okay? I want to say that again. 2015 is the year that naivety and denial die. Uh, I think even one of the lead financial guys, Bill Fleckenstein, bright guy, made the statement just a couple days ago on King World News that 2015 is the year that fantasy dies. So let's just look at even the headlines of what's happened in Paris, France, with the terrorism and everything. Global upheaval is absolutely the order of the day so that when it's time to hoist upon the world, whether it's the alien saviors coming to save us from our self-destruction, whether it's the Space Brothers coming to intervene in human affairs, the point is they still need global upheaval. So when you see the mainstream media come totally complicit, in my opinion, in absolutely not calling a duck a duck, sitting ducks become dead ducks, and in the spirit realm, that's what we're being set up for because people have not an active Bible-based faith based on the believing that God intervenes in human history. The thing that I've asked Tom, and I don't know, Tom, what your answer was even before we were going to do this show together, but how much of Christendom is going to embrace the alien Savior, and especially now, Sheila, that ecumenism is the order of the day, and the Pope is bringing together the Protestants, and charismatic leaders are buying into this faster than it seems like anybody else. So the point is, is that the stage is set, for the man of peace to walk on the stage, to quote the United Nations spokesman, give us a man who will give us peace, and be he God or be he the devil, we'll worship him. So the point is, is that the whole world wonders after the beast. And what Tom Horn and I are giving you, and remember, everyone, before you dismiss that stuff, when we warned about singularity, when we warned about the attempt at eternal life apart from God, we warned that men wanted to be God more than anything else to control their destiny. We've been warning, 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 warning for two, two and a half decades in all the books we've written. But I think between us, we're up to not what we've published of other people, but between us, we're up to about 25 different things that we've written. And Sheila, I think that's a testimony to the grace of God giving in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. When I want to say this for your show, because I think it's imperative, Tom never tells me what he's doing until he's way into the midst of it and almost finished, nor do I, nor do we bounce off ideas. Hey, Tom, what do you think about this? Hey, Steve, what do you think about this? It has been such a marvelous blessing to trust the Lord with all of our heart, not leaning under our own understanding. But, you know, it's funny because all of our naysayers, critics, scoundrels at large, and we'll throw in the jackals and hyenas, they can attack the messenger, but they can't deny it's now playing out, just like we warned. 20, 25 years ago. Well, and what's really interesting, Steve, is that also while you guys are doing your work, I just uh, finished a book called The Green Gospel, The New 
world religion. And I mean, look at the fact that the Pope is going to be issuing a very lengthy climate change. Catholics will have to address the moral imperative to worship or support Gaia. Tom, I want you to get into that. But when you connect the dots on combining the UN with the church, and there's a kind of this system developing right before our eyes, a veil about to emerge, so to speak, as a Revelation 13 beast, you know, the man on the scene, the man of the year, who is the world in love with right now, and who's the one talking about baptizing aliens? It really seems that what we're talking about here is not only the Vatican's astonishing plan for the arrival of an alien god, but so they can ease us into a case where those are the ones that we came from, whether it is these cryptid hybrid beings, aliens, demons. We're already, Steve, as you just talked about stargates, we're seeing them opening all around the world. There's dimensions, gateways, portals. When you see all this culmination of prophecies coming together, and then you think about Father Malachi Martin warning that the Vatican would be secretly establishing a political world economic plan, it's a culmination of everything coming together, is it not, Tom? Absolutely is. And, you know, you, you watch that remake of the film, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and the aliens are coming. Why? Because of our environmental damages, what, what, what the Pope is calling human ecology, and others are calling human ecology, the greening of the planet, us gas-guzzling, beer-drinking, fat humanoids are doing so much damage to this sentient being called Gaia, the Earth, as a living, essentially it's ancient goddess worship, that we need to be stopped. And so is that why this Savior will appear? Is he going to take up the Pope's new green gospel? Is he going to say that we've been damaging the Earth and hurting the Earth and the Earth is actually alive and we don't know what we're doing and so we're going to be forgiven of our ignorance, but we have to cease and desist immediately? I want to say something about that. I want to quickly say a final point about the last thing we were talking about, though, Steve's Stairway to Heaven or Hell, and because you have a lot of people that listen to your show, they study the Bible, and we kind of cut that off abruptly, and they might not understand that the idea that there are gateways, there are mountains, like the Apache Indian believe that Mount Graham, it's one of the four holiest mountains in the world to indigenous people. And why is it? And it, this is why we found out they were fighting the Vatican and NASA going on to the top of that mountain. By the way, it might also be why that mountain was picked by NASA. I think it is, and the Vatican. They were fighting them because that mountain to them is a gateway. It's a stargate. It's a portal. It's a place where other intelligence moves in and out of our reality. And that was shocking to us. And so right now we have film crews. We've got people doing interviews. Chris Putnam and I are going to produce the third in the trilogy. There's Petrus Romanus. The second one was Exo Vaticana. The third in the trilogy, the title of the book is called On the Path of the Immortals. But what that book is really about is us documenting the portals, the gateways. There's 72 of them on the earth. And we're going to be talking about those, but in particular, we're visiting some of them. Steve's got his friend Alberino also visiting those in Peru. So we're going to be doing a lot of documentation, gathering film, interviewing locals that uh, are providing, some are already providing video to us. I think I've got something now like 12 hours of video that's been collected by people that happen to live down below Mount Graham. And these are Indians. They live on the, the tribal communities there. And they've got cameras fixed on that mountain, and you'll be astonished at some of the stuff that they have caught. I mean, you, you can only think of it as like sprites 
something that suddenly just moves across the mountain and disappears again, and you'll find out why it's sacred to them. But for Bible students, I would want them to know that this is something that is supported in the Bible, the idea that you could have geographic locations where dimensional doorways can open and close um, is something that is biblical. Note how Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, specifically there to meet with God. Note when Jesus returns, the Bible says his feet will touch the top of the Mount of Olives, and it's from there that he will descend down onto the planet. Note in the apocryphal book of Enoch, which is still in some versions of the Bible, that in the days of Jared, Noah's great-grandfather, these 200 powerful angels known as the Watchers, they come down onto the top of Mount Hermon, and from Mount Hermon they walk down into the Valley of the Plains, and the language around that mountain from that day and forward is called the forbidden place. That's what the meaning is. Years later, Jesus is talking to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. He's facing Mount Hermon. He's right in that area. And this is where the Greeks had built, by that time, a dedicatory to the horned demon Pan. And right there, he faces this gateway. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Now, Steve mentioned a moment ago Jacob's ladder. What happens with Jacob in his night vision of the ladder? He wakes up in uh, Genesis 28. Read the story. He wakes up. He has seen angels ascending and descending from a very specific geographical location. It scares him. He gets out oil. He anoints the whole place. But what does Genesis 28 actually say that he says? He doesn't call it, and, and again, I corrected this last night. A lot of people say that he called it, the, the house of God. That's not what he says. Read it. He says there is a gate here to the house of God. There is a, something like basically the Tower of Babel. There is a gateway that could literally lead into Shemayim. Of course, the Tower of Babel, this is you know Genesis 10, Cush begets Nimrod. Nimrod becomes a mighty Giborim, offspring of the Watchers and Nephilim. And he begins to build a tower that will reach into Shemayim, the dwelling place of God, or the dwelling place of the watchers, the creators. And again, I could go on and on, but you read all the Jewish writers about why he built it, what he did. But it was God himself that says, nothing shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And what was it they imagined to do with that gateway, with that tower? to literally enter into the presence of God, Shemayim. He says they will do it. So he goes down and confounds the language. The Tower of Babel is never ultimately finished in its first objective. The Sumerians write about it. They give it a name, Edamanaki. You know what that means? The gateway to God. So this is both biblical and historical, that there are locations on the earth that can be portals. It's biblical. And not only is it biblical, of course, as Isaiah says in the end times, that God is going to give a command, open the gates, the gateways, ye rulers, those who are guarding these gateways. He orders them, open the gateways. And what does it say happens? Giants, satires, transgenic beings that are awaiting behind these gates, they come forward to fulfill the wrath of God during a terrible time of tribulation upon the face of the earth. Now, Remind me, Sheila, what you wanted me to say about the Pope and the greening of society. I just wanted to make sure that 
your listeners who are listening to this that might have heard some of the you know the first part of this program, and, and we're talking about gateways and portals, and they're strict Bible students. I wanted them to understand that this is something that very much does fit with the Bible, and also not just its revelations, but prophetic future events. One of the roadmaps that the Conclave's been following is there's going to be three sort of significant indicators issuing some kind of a climate change initiative, calling together a summit of all the world's major religions, you know, announcing this worshipping Gaia mantra or dictum, bowing down to environmentalism, essentially combining the UN with the church. Now, you know, that is a system that's really developing right before our eyes. And again, we're talking about the beast of Revelation 13. The world really is in love with whatever Pope Francis says. I find that so fascinating fascinating and scary. So I think a connection can be made between Agenda 21 and this upcoming papal encyclical, but also his presentation before the United Nations. If people don't know what Agenda 21 is, they can just Google and read about it. Basically, it's a UN-sponsored program, but it has some scary power. It would give power to the United Nations to effectively force local governments to comply with sustainability ideas. So in other words, the government, they could curtail your freedom to move about, to travel, monitor how much gas you use in your car or if you even can own a car, whether you could live in the suburbs. Can you raise your own gardens? Can you live off-grid? Not likely. And as a matter of fact, Agenda 21 objectives would limit even if you could raise a family. They'd be very much like the China program. How many kids can you have? It would eliminate private property rights. Basically, it would become eminent domain on steroids. It would say the government has a need and a right to ultimately have control over all of your properties. So you couldn't own private property anymore. Uh, In that sense, it's also Marxist. It's also socialist, as this pope is pushing. And in his encyclical, we haven't read it yet, but he's going to give it in front of the United Nations. It's definitely going to use religious language. We already know that to talk about moral imperatives, but it's going to address so-called climate change, and because he's using the phraseology already in his public presentations about, quote, human ecology, we already know he's going to place the blame for what ails the world on us terrible humans doing terrible things to this wonderful divinity ecosystem known as Gaia, which you've written about, and I want to know a lot more about the book that you've written and that that we hope to be able to publish. Uh, But the point is, doing this before the United Nations, literally could mark the ascension of Petrus Romanus as the universal monarch of a new world order. And if it does, and it definitely could, then we're looking at the unfolding of potentially some of the greatest prophecy in the history of mankind. And and this pope's out there right now. What's interesting, years ago, one of the very first books I ever wrote, I talk about how when the Antichrist would appear, he would impose universal socialism. The other day I was trying to remember why, 30 years ago, would I have said that? What was in my mind at the time that would have made me believe that the final world order, the Antichrist, the false prophet, would be champions of universal socialism? And I think it's because socialism tends to take away from the individual their own power. It basically... You work for the state. You work for the government. Everybody's made common. There's no capitalistic society anymore. And in that sense, they kind of own you. And now you have this pope out there 
He's already arguing for a radical new financial economic system that combines socialism with divine ecosystem environmentalism. So you have a brand new gospel that is coming out. It's anti-capitalistic. Most of the people that are alive today don't know enough about prophecy or the Bible, or for that matter, even American history, to understand why this is both astonishing and scary that you have the president of the most powerful nation on earth who is repudiating what most of the people who fought in the great wars and died to preserve were fighting for. And next to him, next to this political authority, you have the world's greatest religious authority championing the same thing. Go out and read all of his latest commentary on this, where he's demonizing those that disagree with, he doesn't call it Marxism, but it's Marxism. He's calling the free market system an economic system centered on worship of the god of money and the dynamics of an open free economy and finance. He's calling that a system that is based on lacking in ethics. So if you believe in free market capitalism, which I certainly do, well, then you are possessed by demons. You're possessed by the demons of mammon. You lack genuine ethic. Tom, following that that train of thought, he should start selling off the Vatican property, the Vatican furniture, and all the uh, you know <laughs> the treasury. I think it's important that people understand that that it's always like Margaret Thatcher said. Uh, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. But the thing that people are missing is a real message. Basically, look at the way the leaders come and. I'll say this because I certainly don't want to offend anybody. Kiss his hand or kiss his ring, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm just saying this. is When he goes into the United Nations, that will be the symbolic gesture of addressing the whole, quote, body politic of the world. And he will basically be presenting himself as universal monarch of the one world government. Because, remember, this is the same pope who made the statement, there is no such thing as personal salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? Yeah. When you wrote Blood on the Altar, obviously I contributed and other authors contributed to it, but I don't think people understand that this is where we're at now. Because in the pope's embracing the poor, He's denigrating what I would call the Bible believers, even with his own church, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. He's infuriating a lot of traditional Catholics, saying that when Jesus said there's never been a time like the one that's coming, nor would be again, and if those days weren't shortened, there'd be no flesh left alive. It's amazing to me that we're watching, Tom, not only this play out in real life, but the point that is so exemplary to me, the thing that sticks out, when you talked about the Vatican and when you talked about what they were looking for, will you address, I think it's important for people to understand the brightest minds coming out of the Jesuits' teachings and everything else, they are looking for a bat-winged creature, are they not? When you said that, not much can knock me back and, and sit back in my chair, or actually maybe knock me out of my chair. That came about as close as anybody, because you are the only one, and bless God for giving that revelation, that ever took the time to go and ask them what they believe. And now I want to make it clear to all the listeners of Sheila's show today, it's not what Tom Horn is saying he believes. It's what Tom Horn was told by the Jesuits. Would you just touch on that briefly? Because that's one of the most astonishing things. When I look back at 2014 and one of the shows we did then, that simply blows my mind. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of the document that was given to me. And it's in the book Exo Vaticana, and it speaks directly to this idea that there would be this bat-winged savior. It was actually predicted in some of even the novels and fiction that has been written in the past. The bottom line is this. The Vatican is the biggest duck in the puddle with upcoming responsibility for controlling the flow of disclosure information. It's going to include who they are, what they are, what they look like, what they expect. And the Vatican's not alone among the academia. You said they kiss his ring a moment ago. And here's something else that's interesting. Those astronomers that are working to pinpoint the alien home bases, I think they first reported two, then they said eight that are in the Goldilocks. What are they doing? By putting that information out there, they are readying us for the idea that there are other people. They live on other planets, and we're going to be in contact with them before long. We're looking for them. We're working hard to put ourselves in connection with them. But another thing that's happening is that they're looking for things like dice and spears. They're looking for artificiality. In fact, you published a book by David Flynn, The Secret Chronicles of Mars, in which documentation was done on artificiality on Mars. But you and I have also done shows on transhumanism. And when you talk about beings that are winged-like, just imagine that tomorrow morning we are invaded. Now you've got, again, this scenario, the Pope standing in the well of the United Nations giving his encyclical, and he says, oh, and we have an announcement to make. And behind him are all of the leaders of the nations of the world. We are in contact, and here's what they look like. But when they described what these beings look like, they're very much describing the classical description of the devil, horned, large-winged, terrible-looking creatures, what the document is saying is we were wrong all along. We demonized the devil, but in fact, he's our savior. He's the good guy. And this Jehovah of the Old Testament, he's the bad guy. But now the really good God, the true Ahura Mazda, has overcome Araman, and he's here now to set us free from our ignorant ideas. But he's going to do things in genetics. He's going to upgrade us. He's going to cure us of all of our diseases. We're not going to suffer anymore. The world is going to buy this thing like nobody's business. And right now, the very same people that are funding the search for extraterrestrial intelligence and artificiality on other planets, Dyson Spheres, is being funded by guess who? The Templeton Foundation, which is a philanthropic organization. What are their other interests? Their other interests is transhumanism, genetics, alien-sounding aspirations with regard to how we're going to alter and hybridize humanity to post-humanism. They've been funding a whole series of lectures titled Facing the Challenges of Transhumanism at Arizona State University, which has the license to operate those observatories on the top of Mount Graham. They're the ones you recall that first put up the SOFIA project on their website. You and I did a show on it, and they quickly took it off because they didn't want people to know that it was talking about the goddess Sophia and the express purpose of opening gateways to otherworldly entities, extraterrestrials. But now there's another university, and they're involved in what might be thought of as a cover-up of the alien presence, the artifact that's on Earth now that Balducci and others talked about and that Balducci said Rome was already aware of, 
and working with, but this is the one, Steve, that actually goes back 10 years ago, 2005, when you and I were doing a whole series of Q-File shows, and this story shot across the World Wide Web of a giant leviathan-like creature, remember that? Yep. That had been discovered in the polar ice of Franz Joseph Land. This colossal being, uh, it had horns, it was immense in dimension, incredible body size, So you and I started investigating that story, including analyzing the audio and video files. Within days, you actually tracked down the helicopter pilot that had flown over and filmed the so-called Leviathan video. And according to that pilot that you interviewed, Sony had created this docudrama hoax to virally promote the release of a new video game called Shadow of the Colossus. Well, then you go on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, you report that Okay, there's nothing to this. The pilots let me know that it's just a hoax. But then the same week, the whole thing starts getting even cloudier. We realized we'd only scratched the surface of a much deeper mystery, a bait and switch. And ultimately, there was a guy by the name of Caplati who was the guy who was actually on the scene there in France Joseph Land doing archaeological recovery work. Uh, worked for a university, and they had found something colossal between the ice. They were working to recover it. He gets scared that Tom Horn and Steve Quayle are about to unveil something. He actually wrote an entire book that, that came out, and in that book, he names me and you. He's a Penn State University writer, but he names Tom Horn and Steve Quayle and tries to poo-poo the whole idea that we had some insight to what was going on there But he actually wrote a paper for the United Nations, now we're back to the United Nations, that they need to enact some kind of rules that involve archaeological digs, not only on Earth, but he's talking about astroarchaeology, the discovery and then the study of artificiality on other planets. But the point is, there's a smokescreen here. The Vatican knows something, the universities know something, I think that they believe that they're already in contact. They're listening to that deceptive voice, Sheila and Steve. They're listening to deception. They're impressed by it. They're controlled by it. They're possessed by it. And I think they intend a moment that's upcoming, and this pope's going to be part of it. And if you look at Petrus Romanus in the Prophecy of the Popes, his own namesake, the Italian friar, St. Francis of Assisi says that the final pope would be a deceiver. And so you have this final pope. He takes Francis of Assisi's name, was changed from Giovanni to Francesco di Pietro de Bernardone, which can literally be translated Peter the Roman. It's literally the last line out of the prophecy of the popes. But Francis of Assisi also said that in the final times, the last pope, he'd be a deceiver. That's what he said. He said he'll be cunning. He'll make the world love him by all of the nice stuff that he's saying, but he says that he is not from Jesus Christ. He says he is a destroyer. Now, look at us. Going into 2015, and the Pope is going to give an announcement. He's going to present an encyclical. He's calling all of the great religions of the world to come under one religious banner based on obeisance to Gaia. Do you think we're living in prophetic times? Steve, your new book is set for release in February, and it's called Little Creatures, The Gates of Hell Are Opening. And I think that is timely because of the upsurge in all these winged beings and creatures. And Steve and Tom, do you 
find it interesting that the occultic Luciferian, especially the Freemasons, they really take a fascination with these transgenic hybrid creatures. And if you look at whether it's the granddaddy of Freemasonry, Albert Pike, or Manly P. Hall, all evil incarnate, or even Helena Blavatsky, they all talk about these sort of transmugenic hybrid species. Even when you look at her translation of ancient Tibetan scripts, she describes these kind of beings. Isn't that fascinating? Well, I think it's fascinating, and, and the timing of this is always really interesting to me because, again, my emails filling up with uh, emails, and I get 400 or so a day, the point is is that people are experiencing this, and God's people are experiencing this. You've heard me say it on your show previously, Sheila, the perfect antidote for fear is the Word of God applied by faith and standing in the name of Jesus. When Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, that the devil is going to challenge everyone. And I think, you know, that little creatures is critical right now because we've got we've got movie stars openly talking about having sex with demons, incubus, male form, succubus, female form. When the gospel was the salt of the earth and the light of the world, these things were all either imprisoned or basically held back by the hand of God's mercy. But when you look at Mystery Babylon and what it becomes, a habitation of devils, and it says dragons and satyrs, we're talking about the entities that history has recorded as being some of the most evil, wicked, life human destroying things out there. So, and just so everyone knows, little creatures, the gates of hell are opening. This is not a child's book because it talks about, if people really understand, I explain it, what's Psalm 91, the terror that comes by night. If they understand what the psalmist is talking about, he's not talking about a sci-fi channel, judging by my email, by John Kyle's deliverance, with a lot of people that are truly truly um, demonized. That means the demons are attacking them. It's time for this information to come out. There is no good fairy tales. They tried to rewrite them. The Grimm's fairy tales are 211 of them, three different editions. But I would encourage everybody to go on my website, stequail.com, and look at my offer on Little Creatures. It's coming to be shipped February 1st, 165 illustrations. But we're not talking about stuff that's not relevant to the news, whether it's a British, uh, the London Daily Mail carrying the stories of people on trains, literally seeing elfin-like creatures outrunning the train, and they all have one thing in common, Sheila. They all can vanish in and out of space right before your eyes. All these fairy tales that little kids grew up with, even I grew up with them, and the occult nature of what Walt Disney did with the, you know, the Sorcerer's Apprentice and, and a lot of his cartoons it was based on the very understanding in the deep world. And I want to say one thing that's fascinating to me. I always thought that the um, scientific establishment would break the news of disclosure, that the aliens are here. And then when it dawned on me, everything that Tom and Chris have investigated in Exo-Vaticana and what they're talking about now, and Tom's been laying out for everyone, is the fact that when the Catholic Church comes on the scene, and as everybody yields to Rome, whether it's the evangelicals, the Protestants, the statements of reformations over, they're going to accept this religious figure. And when they accept that religious figure, they open up the doors to so much supernatural evil. The word church in the New Testament, 
Greek is ekklesia. That means the called out ones. And it's becoming more and more apparent that as the enemy is gathering his end-time army unto himself, God is going to raise up different men, different women, different people of God who are going to basically be the power of God to break this attack that's coming upon the people. You know, Daniel says that they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And when we're talking about events, and for the record, what Tom described as the Vatican's description of the coming Savior, when Jeremiah said, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, they're seeing giant humanoid figures, I'm talking about in northern Canada right now, coming out of what the man who wasn't religious said, he said literally, all I can say is there's no words to describe what I'm seeing except that hell has opened up and these hellish creatures are being released right before our eyes. Should people fear? Absolutely not. Should they praise God? Absolutely. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. So you can't kick out the book of Revelation just because you think it happened 2,000 years ago. A lot of stuff has to happen. When we were talking about transgenic DNA manipulation, that's why if you take the mark of the beast, well, I'll tell you what, it has to be something that damns you to hell, and you have to take it willingly. And so just as Tom said, Nimrod began to become a gibarim, that's another word for giant. In other words, his nature changed. Well, I don't know what he was wearing. I don't know what he was snorting. I don't know what he was eating. Oh, yes, I do, people. He changed. And with that came about the total war against God. The one thing the transhumanists, they're given the same promise, you shall not die. And I'm telling you this, I'll send you, Sheila, as I find them, but I'm telling you the depth of the patents for everything Tom Horn has warned about in his books and I've warned about in my books is here. Ladies and gentlemen, take advantage of Little Creatures. It's 10 bucks cheaper per book, and the only way to get it, go on the ad. It tells you, you know, what the price is uh, and where to send a check to or a money order. The minute I get them, and I get them overnight, the minute they come off the press, not all of them, but enough to get them immediately out to people, I want the people that this is striking a chord. We don't get together on talk radio, but maybe a couple times at the most. I'm talking Tom Horn and I. But when we do, I'll make it really easy. All hell breaks loose, but heaven answers. And that's probably the best way I can say it, Tom. Yeah, and Steve, by the way, childhood's end. That's when you talked about, you know, the, the creatures with the leathery wings and the horns, the barbed tails. When I asked the Pope's astronomer, who goes into a great deal of stuff in Exo-Vaticana, about the beings. They've already been here once before, he says, and then he points me to Genesis 6 and starts talking about the Nephilim, and I'm just astonished that the Pope's astronomer is telling me who you and I would call the Nephilim are the aliens that were here once. They're coming back again. They're morally superior to us. He even says that Jesus is the result of what we would call alien abduction. So he goes into all this stuff, and I'm just we're just flabbergasted, Chris Putnam and I, and we documented this out of their own works. So it's not hearsay. It's not third party. We, we documented it out of the stuff that they themselves have published by publishing houses that are owned by the Vatican. So we did that. But when I ask him, so can you tell me what some of this stuff looks like? I mean, what are we talking about? He tells me to read Childhood's End. Arthur C. Clarke, the Earth is invaded by all these beings. 
when they finally come down out of their craft, here they are, leathery wings, little horns, barbed tails. They're the very creatures that classically we have defined as Satan and his demons. But that's what I was told uh, by the Vatican's authority. If I want to know what do they look like, here's the closest thing to it. And it's literally what you or I would define as the devil. Jesus coming from aliens. Isn't that incredible? We will want to be keeping our eyes on the Pope, won't we? Tom and Steve, thank you tonight for coming on. Folks, go to weekendvigilante.com for Tom and Steve's websites. And tune in to my show right here on WWCR every weekday from 6 to 7 Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Good night and God bless. The Sheila Zielinski Show is sponsored by SteveQuail.com, offering a wide variety of products, links, headlines, and information for the end times. Order Steve's new book, Little Creatures, by visiting SteveQuail.com. Dare to discover, learn, prepare, and be amazed.